to uh, Calvary Chapel Naugatuck. And uh, if you would, just take out, let's see here. So you sh- I think you got two cards when you came in, okay? Um, one has says connection card at the top. And if you could take a look at that and fill out that information if you get a chance. And then we have a box in the back. If you need a pen, um, she'll be coming out with a pen. So if you need a pen, just raise your hand. Um, the other card is kind of our bulletin for now until we get like a little trifold thing and a little uh, bifold um, on here. Okay, so on this, just on the front, welcoming uh, you to being here, and you know our little graphic there at the bottom, the Church Without Religion. That's kind of our slogan. On the back are some announcements. Okay, the next service is going to be Sunday, uh, November seventh, right? Because what we're doing is we're going bi-weekly until January, and then at January it's every week from there. Um, again, it talks about kind of how we do handle money and offering at Calvary with the box in the back. Um, also, the Calvary Connection card can go in that box. Um, and then you got a little spot for sermon notes. My wife was mad at me because she said that wasn't big enough, so uh, I'll try and make it bigger for next time. Um, but that's what we have on there. So, and then you got the website in the top left, and then, of course, you can follow us on Facebook and see what we're doing and what stuff we post on there. Um, so that is that. Um, so let me just... Uh, Open up in prayer here, and we'll kind of dig into what we'll be talking about for today. Um, God, we thank you for this morning, and uh, we just thank you uh, for your gift of the church, Lord. And we're going to be talking about that this morning, God. And and we know there's been mistakes um, and good things along the way, Lord. And so we pray, God, that uh, you would help us to understand what your ultimate destiny was for the church, Lord, and um, the things that you had in mind, God, and the things that we should focus on. And so, Lord, we just pray, God, that uh, you eliminate all distractions, God. Help us to uh, focus on you. Um, help us to better understand what your word would be saying to us, Father. We offer this time, Lord, as a, as a sacrifice to you, God. And so I pray, God, that uh, the message uh, that you put on my heart, Lord, that you be able to deliver it, Lord, um, in the way that you want it, God. Uh, we thank you for this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last time we were here, we talked, let me just kind of put this over here. We talked a little bit about uh, kind of our background and church, and yeah, we can leave that up there. We talked a little bit about church, kind of where we're coming from, sort of our foundation, and kind of what we believe, and um, you know, how we're going to be approaching this church thing, and uh, our name is Calvary Chapel, and we talked a little bit about that last time, uh, and kind of gave a little bit of a background. And so what we're doing uh, this morning is, Uh, We're going to be talking about Acts chapter 1, so we're going to go right through Acts chapter 1 and talk about um, the church and kind of where it started and the roots and, um, you know, entertain some questions that come up regarding the church. Um, And what did God really have in mind when he had this church concept? You know, are we where we're at now, you know, what he had in mind? Okay, and in order to think about that, you know, as I was uh, thinking about Acts chapter 1, I just figure... You know, we put a little word cloud kind of up there and just talk about church because so many things come up just based on people's personal experiences. You know, I've been around for a couple thousand years and some experiences have been bad and some have been good and, you know, I don't know what yours is. Um, but a lot of things come up and it brings to the surface, you know, is it a building, is it a group of people? Um, and so some of the things on here, you know, where did the concept start? You know, like where does the concept even start? Like what was the first church service like, you know? Um, Jesus wasn't even at the first church service, you know, kind of the way we know it now. Um, is today's church what God had in mind? You know, you have denominations and, um, and different things, and that, is that okay? Is, is God okay with that? Was that actually even part of his plan? Was it not? Um, is there a verse that says that we have to go to church? You know, should it be like a priority on Sunday morning where we have to go to church or Sunday night or whenever it is? 
You know, it's a verse that says we actually like, have to be there. Um, if God already loves me, you know, why should I go? You know, if he already loves me, uh, I can worship God pretty much anywhere, right? In my house or outside or wherever. And, you know, what is really the need to show up, uh, you know, at church, at the building with the people? Um, you know, a common one we talked a little bit about last week, you know, Bill Maher like this one. They just want to control me with guilt and take my money. Um, that's kind of a common perspective. Uh, they just want your money, and a uh, popular phrase is fleecing the flock, you know, control you with guilt and trying to manipulate you into trying to accomplish the agenda, you know, that whatever particular church has. Um, I've been hurt here before, you know, and that's kind of a big one. Um, being hurt at church because you extend your trust, you know, you extend, um, you know, a part of you, and you make yourself vulnerable, and people can definitely, you know, take advantage of that, and they have. Um, unfortunately, there's too many sad stories out there right now um, regarding priests and mistakes they've made, um, uh, pastors and mistakes they've made. It goes all across the board, and really nobody's safe from that. Um, and then the one at the top there, that's, that's where the biggest hypocrites are, right? I've heard that one quite a bit. Uh, I don't want to go there because that is where the biggest hypocrites are, and uh, why would I want to take part in that? Uh, at least I'll be honest with myself and just stay home. Right. And so maybe it brings in, you know, some of those thoughts and some of those ideas. Um, and I'm sure while you're sitting there and you're thinking about church, you know, other things come to mind. Um, but what we'll do this morning is we'll kind of dig in and take a look a little bit at it. Um, we have a quote from this uh, guy, Pastor Pete um, Scazzaro. And, and I like the quote just because there's a couple of things I want to point out just as far as kind of what we're thinking about church. Um, it says the church is the place. We are living in community, where we're not enmeshed or smothered, where we can respect differences and be real. If you're not interested in being honest and sharing your struggles, you might as well go join a club. Why join a church at all, right? It's just kind of a mindset. You know, as, as you come, hopefully the mindset is I'm, it's a place where I'm going to hopefully be honest, um, try and help other people, uh, and be enmeshed in a community. So he says, Scazzaro believes that a body of believers living in transparency is something that sets the church apart from the world. Uh, The church is hopefully the place where people can come and it's safe. We want to be in a place where we admit where we are broken, where we are vulnerable, and we are authentic. If we really believe in grace, we can come out of hiding and hopefully be something that will make the world a little thirsty for Christ. Without transparency, I'm not sure we have much to offer the world. Right, And, And so that's talking a little bit about there's some kind of key words that us at Calvary Chapel, we really want to focus on. Uh, a couple of those things is being transparency, authentic, being vulnerable, because uh, we we're going to find out that that was really God's idea behind this thing. Um, that was the intention of it. You know, it's got to be a place where we make people a little bit thirsty for Christ, but we completely make ourselves open and we don't, you know, lie about things. Uh, sometimes the church cannot fix every problem. You can really just come alongside and comfort. Um, within the Bible, there's just not every answers to every question. There's a lot, right? But there's not everything. Um, and so being authentic and honest about that stuff, I think, carries a long way. It carries a really long way. Um, and so here's a couple of things that can happen at church, okay? Some things, and we get this in my face, some things that can happen, right, that can benefit us. And so we'll look at the first one here. Uh, Make a positive difference in the world and in the community around you. And so that is one that kind of speaks for itself. Make a positive difference in the world 
in in the community around you. So hopefully church does not just become a thing about you where you can show up and, you know, where you can have food and, you know, meet some people. Hopefully it becomes a place where you can also invest yourself into it. Um, optimism about the future. Uh, at church, uh, it can establish a certain uh, view as, as far as in the future and what's to come. And it can make you optimistic because you realize, you know, there's really more at stake than just yourself and just your life. And so then I become optimistic that maybe even you're part of, like, a bigger plan of what can happen. Um, encouragement of family time together and family involvement, which I think is a big one, right? What it does is on Sunday morning, um, everybody has to get up at the same time. Um, they have to get in a car together. They have to come to the church, you know, building together. It's a nice routine. And then afterwards, maybe they can still hang out together and maybe get something to eat. And so it establishes a nice routine and a nice opportunity for the family just to be together, even just for that Sunday morning. And in this day and age, um, that can go a long way because most people don't even have dinner together. Um, so it can certainly help out with that. Uh, hopefully a safe haven or refuge for your life, right, in regards to illness, financial pressures, relationships, etc. The church, you know, our goal is to be a safe haven or a refuge for people. Where whatever you're dealing with in life, you know that, hey, at least I can count on the church and the people at church, and they can pray with me through these situations, and maybe they'll have the answers. But I can lean on them for encouragement. I can lean on them for guidance um, as far as who do I date, who do I marry, should I make this investment, should I not, um, for all of those things. And a refuge in the sense that, you know, you make yourself vulnerable when you're here, and you feel like you can trust yourself with the people that are there. You know, that's... That's the family aspect um, that we're hoping to bring. Uh, and strengthen your faith. Uh, hopefully at church, it does strengthen your faith. And um, it gives you a better perspective on God. It gives you a better understanding as far as what's going on, you know, in the word here. And um, you get surround yourself amongst a group of people that have the similar mindset and similar beliefs. And you can kind of spur each other on, right, as iron sharpens iron, as it says, right, in Proverbs. Um, and then there's some other things. There's some other things that can happen at church. And uh, all too often, these other things, right, kind of become the focus, and that's kind of really the justification for, man, I'm just not even going to bother with that stuff, right? So some other stuff that can happen, scandals, right? And scandals, all you got to do is just Google for 10 minutes, and uh, you'll find plenty of scandals and um, plenty of poor decisions that were made within the church, and a lot of times people from uh, the top down. So scandals, unfortunately. Um, moral failures, right? And usually within those scandals, it's because it's a moral failure of some kind, right? They made some bad decisions. They made some probably poor financial decisions. Um, it's sad. And a lot of people point to that and they say, man, if that guy at the top is doing that stuff, I certainly don't want to be a part of that, right? And that's where that hypocrite mindset kind of comes from. Um, fighting, arguing, bickering, um, phew, yeah, that happens a whole bunch. You know, it, I was a little discouraged this week. Man, t this was a rough week. Uh, personally, for me, it was just one of those weeks where you just feel like you're just glad to survive by the end of it. Like, some weeks you feel like you want to conquer the world and really shoot for the stars and be like, let's go get this thing and make a difference. I wasn't this week. That just was not this week. I was glad to survive. And I was a little discouraged, uh, you know, because there was some church stuff that I was involved in. And there was just the fighting and the bickering just over stuff that just was not important. Just really was not important, and it's just uh, you know where people when we get hung up on the little things that the you know, little pet peeves and things that we have, and you know you try and 
eliminate that stuff and just be the vessels, you know, that guy can work through, but sometimes that can be tough. And so you get this fighting, arguing, bickering, and it causes division, and other people are watching, you know, they're watching, and it's not good. Um, judgment, yeah, I was reading a book not too long ago, one of the top ten reasons, you know, why people won't go to church and step foot in, just because they feel like they're going to be judged. They don't feel like they'll come here and... Um, People are going to welcome them with open arms and just embrace them and whatever their lifestyle is, uh, they feel like they're going to be judged as soon as they get into the door. Um, and so hopefully we can create an environment where people don't feel like they're going to be judged. That doesn't mean that um, you notice certain things and behaviors in their life and you just tolerate them. At some points, you know, you have to address them. Um, but as far as judging them as soon as we come right in the door, hopefully that's something, you know, we can do a better job with here. Um, Taking advantage of your trust and vulnerability. And we talked a little bit about that before, and I think that's um, kind of the number one big reason. You know, if people have been involved before as far as really trusting in somebody or in a group of people, and it's been misused. You know, they've taken advantage of you, and um, they didn't turn out to be what you thought that they were going to be. You know, and, and that's not to say that sometimes we set unrealistic expectations on people, um, which we certainly can do. And think that some people at the church are just like the Messiah, and they're just going to come along and and really help and fix things, and things should be better. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, we do have that improper view of people, you know, at the church. Um, but taking advantage of the trust and your vulnerability and the honestness when, when you approach church the way you're supposed to, and really come with that open heart, and then you know you kind of get whacked for it. Like that one hurts, and it stings, and it stays for a while. It stays for a while. Um, so how are we approaching this church thing? So kind of where are we coming at it? What is our kind of view on church? And we talked a little bit about it uh, last week. Um, our view on church is we know that there are imperfect and horrible actions in history and currently done by the church. I mean, that's out there, and we know that, okay? And we, like most skeptics, have a problem with people who claim to be Christians and the things they have done in the name of Christ, right? Definitely got a big problem with that. People who claim to be Christians and for God, and they're like, yeah, we're doing this in the name of God, and you're just like, what planet are you on? Like, that is not nowhere near as far as what is God is calling us to do. Um, it says we believe what Jesus taught and what he practiced, right? Things like, blessed are the merciful, for they shall inherit mercy, uh, love one another, more blessed to give than to receive. You know, the church starts with Jesus, and these are the things that he taught, these are things that he practiced, and, like, we're on board with that. We're definitely on board with that. Um, but we're not on board as far as, you know, with people, um, with people in the name of Christ, you know, trying to do things that are just definitely not of Christ. And so something I had to write down, just because uh, it kind of blew my mind a little bit, and maybe... Uh, it'll at least make you think, right? The book of Revelations, right? All the way at the back at the end of the book. says, where God addressed the problems of seven churches in Asia. This was only 60 years after the church was first founded, right? 60 years or so, kind of towards the end of that first century. It's only about 60 years. That's not that long. It didn't take long to become so corrupt and lukewarm that the Lord was ready to spew it out of his mouth. It was completely nauseating to him, right? He had some words to say to the church, and um, some of them weren't very kind. Uh, he was very upset with the complacency, uh, with kind of the pride that creeped in, uh, with the wrong focus of goals to the point where he's like, I am just sick of this stuff. Like I could literally like vomit you out of my mouth. I was so disgusted by the whole thing. And how long did that take? That didn't take very long. That took 60 years. Like 
That wasn't very long. How long has the church been around for? A couple of thousands. So you can only imagine what's going on there. Um, and so I was thinking as I look at church history, I don't think things have really improved that much. Uh, the church has only deteriorated sometimes even further. The things that the Lord spoke about to the seven churches are things that he could very well say to the church today. So you can't look at church history and find the model for the church, just like you can't look at the history of mankind and find God's divine intention for man. Man has fallen, and so you don't see the divine ideal. The same is true of the church. You don't see the divine ideal for the church by looking at church history. Right? You can't see the divine intentions that God had for man right? because we fell right from the very beginning. So try and look back at the history of mankind. Like that's not, that wasn't really the ultimate plan that God had. Um, that's what happened, but that's not the ultimate plan. Um, and so the same is true of the church. You don't see the divine ideal for the church by looking at church history. Um, and we can look at it, and like I said, we can see the mistakes, but we've got to wonder what was really the divine ideal, what did God really have in mind? And does he even talk about it, right? Does he talk about it? Um, and so uh, we think we find the ideal at the beginning in the book of Acts, right? And that's why we're going to be spending some time in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we think we find the ideal of the church, what God wanted, a church that was kind of led by the Spirit of God, which we'll talk more about the Spirit in a little bit, um, and empowered by the Spirit of God. Um, and so that's what we think the goal was. And so we have, yes, the roots, right, the title slide here, the church. And so we'll be doing each time, really, the book of Acts, kind of the name of the, the whole thing that will be, the name of the um, series that we'll be doing is called The Church. And then kind of by each chapter, we'll kind of break it down. And Acts chapter 1 is really the roots, kind of where it started, where it all came from. Um, so a little bit of history before we get into it. Uh, with a little bit of history here, we have, you've got to understand the context just real quick, and I don't want to bore you with too much history. Um, but at this point in time, Jesus had left them. You know, he was walking with them. He left. Um, and now the apostles and disciples are kind of by themselves. And so now they've been following this guy, Jesus, for three years. Uh, he's been teaching them just a radical new way of life. And now he's gone. And so he says, you know, just wait for me. Uh, there'll be a gift and, and something's going to show up. Um, and at this point in time also, uh, it's a Roman Empire. And so emperors ruled supreme. Uh, the emperors, it was said that they um, had to have the title of Lord and Savior, right? And so that kind of butts heads and is a little bit of a conflict for the Christian when Jesus himself you know, calls himself Lord and Savior. And so it's a difficult time period uh, where you have this emperor claiming to be God, Lord and Savior, um, and really these emperors really weren't too fond of the Christians. Okay, so you have guys like Nero that maybe you've heard before, and this is kind of like during that time frame. Um, and we'll find out in a minute that this was uh, written by Luke, and he's writing it to a friend, Theophilus. Uh, Luke before, you know, wrote the book of Luke. And is really the only guy who's a non-Jewish guy that has a book in the Bible. Uh, not a whole lot really known about him. You know, he was a doctor. Um, he hung out a lot with, uh, with Paul. Uh, but he wrote it to Theophilus. And the name of the book, as far as being Acts, uh, they really uh, kind of refer to it as the Acts of the Apostles. And it kind of, it really breaks down to uh, the Acts of really Peter and Paul. It's kind of like the main focus. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's where that's coming from. And are we on this one here? Yes. So it says Jesus gone. Jesus is gone. What happened? What will happen? You know, and, and I imagine, I, I don't know what type of person that you are, um, 
I would imagine when Jesus left, uh, there really wasn't much of a plan in place. Not much of a plan. Jesus was like, something's coming for you. It's going to be a gift. Uh, and he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So they're supposed to stay in Jerusalem. Some gift is coming. Uh, they don't have much of a time frame. It ends up being around 10 days or so. And they're really kind of stuck in a spot. Like, what do I do? Like, God told me to just hang out and just wait. He didn't say, like, well, you might get a sign like this, that something might happen. Um, he really didn't give him any directions. He kind of just told him to wait, and you'll find out when it gets there. Um, maybe that was an issue for some of them. Maybe it wasn't. You know, if you put yourself in their shoes, I mean, you literally just changed your whole life for the past three years. Change your whole life. And you just followed this guy and learned from this guy. And then you saw him die. Uh, then he rose from the dead and actually hung out with them for about 40 days in different time periods and in different settings. And now he's saying he's leaving, and they have no clue as to what the next steps are. All they know is some gift is coming. And then after that, it's like, what am I doing? I just changed my whole life around radically. Like, what am I going to do next? Um, and so depending on the type of person that you are, certain things could maybe creep into your head as far as, geez, did I just waste my time? Um, should I really trust God on this? Or maybe something similar to myself where, like, we better get busy and, like, start doing some stuff. Uh, sometimes it's really hard when God says, just wait, and some sign is going to happen. Um, I remember thinking of a time in my own life where, you know, it kind of came to that. Um, when I was in college, um, I was a math major and physics minor, which I highly do not recommend to do. And so it was really difficult. Like, my first year, I was undeclared. Um, and then my sophomore year, I figured, well, I was always involved in sports. Like, I like sports. Like, you know, maybe I'll just be uh, a phys ed major. And um, I was in the classes, and I was just, like, sitting there just being bored. I was like, man, this is just boring. Like, I just don't like it. So I was in a uh, physics class at the time, and um, in that class, I was, like, I was doing pretty well. I was getting, like, an A in it. It didn't seem really hard, and everybody else was, like, really struggling. I was like, Jesus, like, you know, if I could, uh, if I could get, like, a degree in physics or something, that could probably go a long way. I have no idea what it could do for me and the type of job it might get me, but it probably looks good. Um, and that's, you know how the college brain thinks sometimes, you know, just not having a clue. And so I found out about three classes into it. I was like, this is a huge mistake. Like, that was physics 101. Now I'm getting to these 200-level things, and I'm like, that was not a smart thing to do. Um, and so, uh, and so I, was like, I can't stand this. There's no way I'll even ever finish school. This is way too difficult. Like, I am not at that, at that level with these people. And so at the time, I was also in a math class, and I was like, well, I'm doing fairly decent in that. And by this time, it's like my junior year, and I was like, i got to finish this college thing. Otherwise, I'm going to be here forever, like a forever student. And I'm not a big fan of school. So, um, so I ended up switching uh, to a math major because I already had some credits in physics. And so I was like, well, I might as well just make that my minor and hopefully I can come out and teach or something like that. And so I remember, though, within that process and with, within these classes, um, like I said, it was at my, like my junior year. And I had just switched over to the math major, and I just had a couple of physics classes under my belt. I couldn't get past the Calc 2. I just failed two classes. I failed Calc 2, and I failed this optic class in physics. And I only had, like, four at the time. I was going part-time. 
And I was like, God, you can't possibly want me to finish college. I said, I can't even, I literally cannot pass these classes. Like, it's just, I can't do it. And so I was just wrestling, just really, really struggling. Um, and so what I did is I, uh, you know, the church came into my life, called my pastor up, and I was like, listen, I was like, you know, I just don't know about this math stuff in school. I said, um, you know, at the time I was really involved on campus, like with different ministries on campus. We had some college ministries. That's a Bible study at the house, and I was helping out and serving at a couple of churches, and I know I really like that. And so I was like, man, you know, what do I do? I said, I really feel like my heart is, you know, towards ministry stuff, but I, I, I don't, don't want to, like, quit school. Like, I don't want to do that either. And I just spent all this time and money and effort into it, and, you know, my pastor's sitting there looking at me, and he's like, well, he said, honestly, Jared, he said, the way I read the Bible, he said, God has been, always been a God of completion. He said, it's up to you what you want to do. He said, but God always finishes stuff. And I was like, not what I wanted to hear, you know. One, it wasn't what I wanted to hear because he didn't tell me what to do. And secondly, it's not what I wanted to hear because I really didn't even know if I could do it. What a struggle. Um, and so I prayed about it for a while, and I figured it was, figured it was from God as I prayed about it and had a certain peace even though that's crazy, with, with it, like every fiber of your being wants to do something else, but you feel like on the inside that God wants you to do something. What a battle that is. And so I felt like God told me, hey, just finish this thing out and wait, and we'll see what happens next. And um, similar to their situation, God said, hey, let's wait, and we'll see what happens next. And man, that was a battle. Though that last uh, two and a half years or so, because I went part-time to kind of finish up, um, after those two F's I got, I took the next semester off. I was like, I just need to, like, refocus here and, like, kind of regroup. And then I went back, um, retook those classes and passed them. I was like, oh, I can't believe that just happened. Um, and then I ended up actually doing fairly well. And so, but during that time period, I learned a whole heck of a lot what it meant as far as focus on what God, what I felt God told me to do no matter what's going on around me or what the results might be, just to go for it, right? Just to go for it. And so I don't know if these guys really struggled like that. Um, but I know I have a hard time as far as God saying, hey, something's going to happen. I'm going to show up. Just wait in the meantime and be faithful. Sometimes those are some of the hardest directions. Um, so anyway, so, that, so that's where they're at. And what we're going to do is let's start reading and kind of take a look as far as um, what's going on here. So in your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 1. Um, it looks like everybody's there. I'm not sure which one, what page it is in the Blue Bibles. Do you know what page it is in the Blue Bibles? All right. Well, if you go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Do we have a page? 770? Thanks. Okay. So we're in Acts chapter 1. So it says in my former book, right, Luke is writing. It says in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, right? That was his book of Luke. That was all the stuff that Jesus began to do and what he began to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And so, right, after he rose, so the next 40 days, he just, like, randomly, like, showed up to people. He just, like, just showed up. They'd just be, like, eating. He'd show up. He'd be, like, Peter was walking on the beach. He just showed up. A couple guys were walking on a road. He just showed up. I wish I could just show up sometimes and then also not show up. That would be kind of fun for work sometimes. Um, 
But that's what was happening. So then in verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Right? Another reference to this gift, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're still kind of stuck on this thing about like political independence, right? Because we said the Roman Empire was kind of in charge, and they're the ones calling the shots and running the show right now. And so they were still stuck on this fact that Jesus was going to come and give them political independence, which that wasn't exactly the main idea of the plan. So he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it says, after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed and stood in white beside them, which must have been actually very cool, right? Like, what a, what a scenario, right? You see Jesus like floating, like going up and then like two people in white just show up by your side, radical. Um, so they, so they were stood beside them. Verse eleven it says, uh, "Men spread a, uh, men of Galilee." They said, "Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has come, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." Um, and so, on the next one here, it says the gift coming from God is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. Right? We got just got a glimpse of it. In this, in this picture here. The gift that's coming is the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. And so up here I have a dog, right, dressed as a ghost. And that, that was really like the best kind of Halloween thing I could like tie into this thing. Um, but what is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Ghost? What is that all about? Um, is he or it like important? Um, yeah, what is he or it? Do we need him or it? Like what is it? It's not common language. I can almost pretty much guarantee how often this week did you use the words Holy Spirit in your conversations? Probably not a whole lot. And if you're at work like I am, you know, kind of a place where, you know, Christian vernacular stuff isn't really that common, you're not, you're not really talking about that too much. Um, and even sometimes within the Christian circles, it's more God and Jesus that's the focus. But a major, major player that's coming on the scene is the Holy Spirit, a major player. And so just at a quick glance, we're not going to cover everything that has to do with the Holy Spirit, all the ins and outs and what that's all about, because it's not really here right now. But we will get there at some point. But just a quick glance, right? It's a person distinct from God the Father, Jesus the Son. It's like a whole other person. Like, how does that fall? And so we talk about this thing called the Trinity where you have God, uh, you have Jesus, and you have the Holy Spirit, where they're all like three, but they're all one at the same time. So very strange. So it says in John 16, right? And this is when Jesus was still with his uh, apostles and disciples says, when he, the spirit of truth comes, so now he's got a name, at least one name, there's actually more names than that, but the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking what is mine and making it known to you. And so from that phrase right there, at least when Jesus was talking, you see the word he a lot. Right? So they're given like this pronoun of he, like it's an actual person, which we don't really know a whole lot about the person, but Jesus seems to refer to him a lot as that. And one of his jobs is to be spirit of truth, and the other is to bring glory to Jesus 
uh, by taking what's Jesus and God's and whatever they know and making that known to us. Some t- somehow that's going to happen. Um, a little bit further down here, it uh, says, yes, yeah, personality, self-consciousness. He instructs and comforts us. So the Holy Spirit actually does all this thing. It says he is God, right? And then you have some verses there, and if you're taking notes, you can write those down and kind of check back later to see if I'm lying to you on that. And it says uh, he is with us now, and Jesus is in heaven, right, in Mark 16. So it says that when Jesus resurrected, went up through the sky, says that after that, he went and sat down next to God. And so actually he's sitting down next to God right now in heaven. And so really the person that's among us right now doing all the work um, and that's here on this planet is the Holy Spirit. And so that's a major, major player. And it wasn't like that before Jesus left, right? The Holy Spirit would be around a couple times, kind of around people and doing things, but he never actually came, descended here with us. And then it says New Testament actually lives within us. So it's like around us, lives in us. It's like it's kind of a crazy thing, but that was the gift, and it was a gift from God. And so that's like the ultimate Christmas present, right? It's like the Holy Spirit, for sure. Um, and he had a pretty radical entrance, which we'll find about um, in Acts chapter 2. Um, and so let's pick up again right back in verse 12. Okay, so from 1 to 11, basically, Luke is writing it. Uh, he's writing to this guy, Theophilus. Uh, summarizes what Jesus told his disciples and apostles. Hey, there's going to be a gift coming. It's going to be special. And John baptized with water, but in a few days, it's going to be this thing called the Holy Spirit. Uh, He was taken from them. A couple guys in white stood next to him. And so in verse 12, it's like, well, that's what Jesus said. And so what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? So then we pick up in uh, verse 12. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So they're on the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus took off. That's where he went up. And it's about a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And it could have possibly been, uh, you know, where they had the Last Supper, maybe that room up there. It could have been. could not have been. It says, those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together, and that's one you might want to underline and highlight, right? Verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And really, they had no marching orders, right? The gift was going to come at some point in time. They really didn't know what to do next, so what did they do? A pretty wise idea, right? They got together, they just prayed and said, man, what is our next steps going to be? And they were going to keep in prayer until they figured out what that next step was going to be. So it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. And he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And so we'll go into 18, actually, what happened, right? It says, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. So when he betrayed Jesus, he got some money, and then he buys a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field, in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, 
Let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. And so it says, therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So what happens is, right, they get together and they say, what's next? Starting in verse 12. Okay, what do we do? So we're going to get together, we're going to pray, and then now, what do we do? So they figured, hey, what we should do is Judas is gone. We want to keep our 12, right? Number 12 is kind of a biblical number, and um, I'm a math teacher, so I work with numbers a lot. And so uh, God likes this number 12, right? 12 tribes, 12 apostles. Um, and so uh, they want to keep that number, and they say, hey, let's pick somebody. And the qualifications are they had to be with us from John's baptism to the time when Jesus went up. That's the qualifications. And a lot of people think, you know, for the Bible students out there, a lot of people think that's the qualifications as far as to be a real apostle. You know, whoever was with John's baptism um, until he went up. And so I'm sure you can tell that nobody this day and age has done that. And so, you know, a lot of people say, hey, sh- there's no apostles now. You know, that was the qualifications then. Um, but that's something you can look at, you know, further. Um, but kind of the crazy thing was that, you know, the actions that Jesus did when he betrayed Jesus, you know, that was all foretold long ago. Right, that was prophecy long ago in the book of Psalms. Um, and they refer to that, right? In verse 20, it says, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. So even though they had no really marching orders quite yet as far as what to do, Peter, he said, Hey, this was actually from God, from the book of Psalms. He said, May another take his place of leadership. And so we got to like, fulfill this 12 person it's just not a good idea that hey let's just keep the 12 because we like 12 it was no god actually said to do it in the book of psalms um and so that's a pretty cool thing i mean psalms written hundreds and hundreds of years before um and so that's what they're going to do and so if we go down to verse 23 says so they proposed two men joseph called barsabbas also known as justice and matthias Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Jesus left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and a lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Um, So this guy, Matthias, not a whole lot really known about this guy. Um, He's never mentioned again, and uh, we know that he was chosen to be apostle, and we just really don't know much after that. I mean, that's all we really get from this guy. We know he's there from, since the baptism, and he was there when he saw Jesus go. And I'm sure he played an integral part in the work, but he was just uh, the new 12th apostle that got added. Um, and so with all of this, okay, the question is, what does that have to do with 2010, right, October 24th, and how can I even possibly use it this week? Okay, like what application can I possibly take away from that? What could God show me? Uh, What might be important, right? Because our belief here is that this Bible, this word, right, number one is inerrant, perfect, exactly the way God wanted. God wanted it over the years, and he preserved it that way. Um, And we also believe it's completely applicable to all times and all people. That's what God gave us. So first one. Right, to involve the Holy Spirit into your prayers and ask him to work in your life. And so if it's not a common practice, um, 
or he doesn't really take up much prayer time, I think you'll find some value and importance to recognizing the Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit really to, for the things in your life that you pray about. Because um, like we talked about before, he is the one that's here right now kind of doing God's bidding and God's work. Uh, and it says that when you become a Christian, right, he's actually the one that comes and lives and stays in your heart. And so if you haven't done that before, that is certainly something that you want to do. Uh, the next thing is that if you're not sure what the next step is in your job, family, relationships, finances, talk with God about it, right? We talked about before about how they really didn't know what the next step was. They had no idea. They knew God promised something, and Jesus is probably a reliable source. He's probably going to cash in and deliver on that. But they had no idea when, what it might look like, who might be involved, what the signs might be. And so what they did is they, right in that verse 14 there, hopefully underline or check that one off, they came together and they prayed together. It's like, God, man, what is next? Like, what are we going to do? Um, and then the last one here says, be faithful with what God has given you. And so what these guys is, they prayed together. And then from verse 12 on, what they did is they're being faithful with what God already gave them. There's about 120 of them, right, all together, uh, apostles and disciples together. And they're trying to be good stewards which, with, uh, as far as the apostles go. This is a chosen group that Jesus had that walked intimately with them and shared special relationships with them. And so they wanted to be responsible to that. And Peter felt, hey, God has already told us, let's rise somebody up and take this place of leadership, so let's be faithful in that. And so they really didn't have much. You know, they knew they were supposed to pray. And then outside of that, pick another apostle, and then we'll just keep praying some more to see what happens. Right? And so on the 7th, right, November 7th, we'll figure out what happens next and what comes on the scene. Um, and so I just want to close with, you know, one common thing, at least with people that I know and that I'm around, um, they think that <clears throat> going to church like is like good brownie points with God. He's really happy about that, and that, that's, a, that's a really good thing, um, which that's all it is. It's just a good thing. Like we could say that you could go to church you know, every day for the rest of your life and still not make it into heaven, right? Still not make it into heaven. Because at the end of the day, the big problem, right, the big problem is sin. And so that issue of sin has to be dealt with. You know, and how do you deal with that? Well, the way you deal with that is by acknowledging it, saying that it's there, asking uh, God to forgive that, and by dedicating your life to him. And so this issue of church and being there and all the benefits that you get from it, that's all well and good. Um, but that's not ultimately what justifies you before God. And he wants more than that, right? He wants your heart. And that's really what he's interested in. Um, and so next week, hopefully you get a chance to read uh, Acts chapter 2 for not next week, but the 7th. And we'll kind of see what happens there. But let's close in prayer. Um, and then maybe we'll do one last song. Is that okay, Mike? Okay. So, God, I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you um, for this gift that you had for us, being the Holy Spirit. And we're going to find out more as far as what you want to do with the Holy Spirit and how he, uh, he incorporates with church. Um, 
but we pray that you help us to understand more about your Holy Spirit and that your Holy Spirit would influence and affect our lives more um, and that you would guide our decisions, um, that you help us to be faithful with uh, sometimes just praying and taking the little steps because sometimes that's all we have. Um, and we understand that doubt and things can creep in, but um, help us to really rely on you, God, and trust you, Father. And so we thank you for this time. Uh, in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So I think Mike is going to lead us into one more song.